a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to get outside. This is KSL Outdoors. Brought to you by Bear River Lodge. Two hours of stories and information on hunting, fishing, and high adventure. KSL Outdoors with Tim Hughes on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back. Hour number two. Navi's back to class by now, or at least he better be. He's going to be tardy and then uh, be in trouble with, uh, well, himself, actually, because he's the teacher. But it's nice to have you here, Tim Hughes, uh, for this hour. And we've got a lot to talk about. I just checked in with uh, Bob and Mark. They're standing by. They're actually on the road somewhere. We'll find out where as we do a little road tripping with the guys coming up in uh, just a few minutes. Emily McDonald uh, will join us. Uh, I did get a chance to have Navi join that conversation with Emily from Park City Resort before he had to bug out. And we'll share with you some of the changes that are coming to Park City Mountain they're uh, uh, making some adjustments in the number of day passes that will be available on a, any given day, trying to alleviate some of the lines on the on the mountains, which, quite frankly, uh, were exacerbated a little bit because of uh, a lack of staffing, which so many businesses had to deal with last year. That also added to some of the problems. But there's a lot of frustration when you get to the mountain, especially on a snow day, and uh, parking is tough to find. They're going to try and alleviate some of that by uh, charging and making uh, those parking uh, slots available early. So we'll uh, have her explain all of that. But there's some other exciting changes that are coming to uh, Park City Mountain, particularly on the uh, canyon side, when it comes to just amenities and being able to do a little opera and relaxing and having a good time. So look forward to that conversation on our regular snow day segment in uh, the next half hour. Right now, though, uh, we're going to talk more fishing on the heels of our fish bites this morning. Randy Oplinger is the sport fish coordinator for the Division of Wildlife Resources and joins us from time to time. Randy, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Tim. How you doing? Doing fantastic. Uh, Faith suggested that we get in contact with you about some of the proposed changes in fishing regulations. And I guess the uh, the headline uh, getting most of the attention right now is to remove round-tailed chub from the list of prohibited fish species and add them to the sport fishing or the sport fish list here. Why? Well, we're looking at this for a few reasons. I think first off, you know, from a, a strict kind of angling perspective, it turns out that roundtail are a blast to catch. They take a lot of flies and lures. They're caught a lot like a trout. They'll take some baits as well. The other thing about roundtail chub is they live in the Colorado River and the Green River and, you know, all the tributaries in that system. And those are very large rivers in the state. And one kind of unique thing about roundtail chub is they're adapted to those environments and they could swim in those environments really well. So that means that if they take, you know, your fly lure or whatever you throw in that direction, they're really good at swimming through those swift currents. And because they're such large rivers, they could, they could really take out some lines. So they're kind of a exciting fish to catch. Um, you know, I think on top of that, you know, we're, we're looking at providing different angling opportunities. And this is a unique species for anglers. This is a, a new one. It's a native fish. It increases awareness of the public for native fish and also increases angling opportunities in the state. Like I said, they're in the Colorado River, tributaries of the Colorado River, and they're not heavily fished. So this is a kind of a, a new, unique fishing opportunity for a new species and some waters that just aren't heavily hit by our anglers. 
I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, Navadomskis did have to get back to the classroom, but he told me that uh, he didn't want to talk to anybody that uh, would call any fish a trash fish. I guess I was the one uh, actually guilty of that when we talk about chubs in general, not necessarily the round tail chub, but a chub to us has always been a trash fish like a carp. Uh, I don't know that you've ever designated them as such. No, you know, it's the division. Yeah, we don't make any distinction of what's a trash fish and what uh, what's necessarily not a trash fish. But, you know, in this case, I understand the connotation with chubs. I, I think people have bad images of chubs in their heads, but they're thinking about a different species of chub. That's usually the Utah chub, and that's the one that's um, overpopulated lakes, causes through rodent treatments. You know, I think some of the famous ones that we treated uh, Strawberry Reservoir back, I think it's in 1990 or 1991, so it's about... 30 years ago uh, to remove Utah chub, but this is a completely different chub species. It's different biologically. It's kind of a distant cousin, but this is a species that uh, really it's, its numbers aren't that high here in Utah, but it's also a conservation success story where we've brought Roundhill back and they're at a level now through uh, good conservation work that, um, you know, we're in a position where we think we could provide some fishing opportunities for them. Because those numbers aren't high, it's going to require some uh, changes in, uh, you know, how many uh, chub are going to be able to be caught and kept here. So can we walk through some of this? And I'm a little afraid we're going to confuse people because there is a fairly long list. Yeah, there's a fairly long list. And I, I don't actually don't have a whole list in front of me, but you're able to look that up online. But basically, we're proposing three different regulations across the state for roundtail chub. Uh, what we basically did is we looked at our biological data and we looked kind of the statewide basis of all around tail trout populations and decided uh, for each population, you know, which which based on the data regulation scenario fits best for that population. So I, I guess the point is we've got a couple rivers in the state where we're looking at artificial fly and lure regulation with the, the catch and release restrictions. You can only use artificial flies and lures and you have to catch and release any fish you catch. We've got a handful of streams in the state where we're looking at any gear to fish limit for round tail chubs. So those ones have, uh, you know, fairly robust populations and they can support the harvest of a couple fish. And then we've got a couple rivers in the state where we're going to propose any gear with a catch and release restriction. So those are kind of the three scenarios. And then we broke our populations across the state up and kind of put them in one of those scenarios based on what the data tells us about how robust those populations are in those, those rivers. I want to make sure that these are just proposed changes at this point, right? Absolutely. Yeah, these are just proposed changes. So these are proposals that the DWR is making, and we're taking them out through our, our standard rack and wildlife board process where the public has opportunities to provide input on these regulations. And then towards the end of next month, the wildlife board sits down, discusses it, and they'll make a, a formal decision on whether this becomes official or not. I can't think of a reason why somebody would oppose this, but maybe I'm wrong. Have you heard arguments on the other side? Yeah, we really haven't heard any arguments on the other side. I, I think, you know, there's there's species conservation interest, you know, perhaps with round-tailed chub. But, you know, in this case, our, our data shows that the round-tailed chub populations are, are robust enough in the state that they could take some angling pressure. And quite frankly, in many of our streams, it's, it's catch and release for them anyway is what we're proposing. So, you know, anglers aren't going to be taking fish home. We do have some waters. We're looking at a two-fish limit. But those, again, are very robust populations. And you know, we've got extensive data from different fisheries across the state, how many fish, you know, you need to have in a system to support a two-fish limit or a four-fish limit. And, you know, we're looking at our round-tail chub populations. They're falling squarely in that range. All right. So those are the proposed changes for round-tail chub. There's a couple of other things that caught my eye. You know, we have been such promoters and and such uh, been applauding all of our 
um, community ponds that have been going up around the state. You're talking about maybe taking one away. Yeah, we're talking about taking away Green River Golf Course Pond as being a community fishery. And, you know, honestly, uh, you know, our, our preference isn't to take away community fisheries in the state because they provide great opportunities for kids and families to go fishing. But here is kind of a, a unique situation with the Green River Golf Course Pond. It's it's a pond that's kind of in a hot location. It's a shallow pond. It doesn't have great water quality. And what we've seen is, you know, despite, you know, all the changes we've made in management with stocking different species in the pond, we just haven't found anything that works well in that fishery. So, I guess the point is, is we haven't been very successful at stocking fish in there and having those fish survive and providing a good experience for anglers. And by listing as a community fishery, we're implying that there's lots of fish and it's a good chance for kids to come out and fish. But this fishery just wasn't working out despite, you know, whatever we tried to do to make it happen. So we think it makes sense to remove it from the community fishery list in the state. Yeah, it's not fair to the fishermen. It's not fair to the fish, right? Yeah, it's not fair. It's kind of kind of false advertising, so we want to take away that false advertising. I get anglers. it. Yeah, I get it. Uh, there are some other things in here, and again, I don't want to confuse anybody. These are proposals, but uh, some that caught my eye when it comes to uh, uh, catch and keep limits, uh, like increasing the daily fish limit at Pelican Lake from 24 bullhead to 50 bullhead. That'll be an indicator. I guess there's too many of them there at the moment. Yeah, that's an indicator there. You know, we're looking at the bullhead population and uh, Pelican Lake, and we're seeing a pretty high population right now, and that's kind of there's two angles to this, you know, because there are a lot of fish. You know, it provides us an opportunity to increase the limit to provide anglers who like taking bullheads home the opportunity to take a lot of fish home. But on the other angle of things, you know, Pelican Lakes, one that traditionally has had great bluegill fishing, largemouth bass fishing, and increasing the harvest limit allows us to thin the bullhead out, help improve those other populations since bullhead compete with those species. All right, we just wanted to get some of this out there and uh, remind everybody, as we always do, to. Uh, have your chance to chime in. You can do so uh, at the uh, website, which is just wildlife.utah.gov, or they can check there for all of their rack meeting uh, times and places, right? That's correct. Randy Oplinger, thank you as always. Yeah, thank you, Tim. Stay with us. When we come back, we'll go road trip, and Bob and Mark are joining me next. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. <laughs> There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. You've heard it, and you know what that means again. It is time for us to get back out on the road. On the road again with Bob and Mark. We're doing a little road tripping this week. On the road again. Just can't wait to get I think you're going to be able to tell just from uh, the phone call that they're actually on the road today. Bob and Mark sharing a phone, aren't you? We are. We, uh, we're not in our studio, home studio, so we're in our rolling studio. That's funny. I thought this was your home studio. Uh, well, yeah, in a way, I guess you're right. Yeah. Uh, Mark, good to have you back. Where are you guys headed today? Well, actually, we're, we're sitting under the sh- uh, shady tree in Duchesne, and we're headed towards Vernal. We started the morning coming up Provo Canyon through Heber Valley and stopping at Deer, Deer Creek Reservoir and spending a little time there. We've been past Strawberry. And Starvation Reservoir, we're continuing east. What are the- yeah, we actually stopped at Strawberry Bay Marina to say, um, 
say howdy to our good buddy Paul Phillips, but he wasn't in when we went by. Oh, shoot. Yeah, I think he's making the kids do all the work these days. He told me he was going to do more fishing this year, and I, I still haven't found a day when both of us were available to go do it, but I was looking forward to it. What do the waters lo- uh, water levels look like along the way uh, on your trip? You know, the Deer Creek looked a little low. I mean, some of those bays are are empty now, but, you know, there's still pretty good water in it, but you can tell it's it's lower than what you normally see. Strawberry actually looked pretty good still. You can tell the water's down a bit, but it looked it looked pretty good to me. Yeah. Starvation wasn't bad. The starvation wasn't bad as well. Bridalville Falls still moving? Yes, it is. It still is, but I'm sure a little bit leaner than normal. Yeah. Um, was your purpose for this trip just to take a look at some sites along the way and remind people of uh, what's along this drive? Well, it's a, a route to get to where we're going for the next couple of days. We, um, we're going out to uh, Manila, out to the Flaming Gorge area. We're going to be shooting off-road trails the next uh, Friday and Saturday uh, on a contract we have with for photography. And so we're going to be out on the trails all over Flaming Gorge, which is not a bad deal. No. Um, but we're taking route. We're taking Highway 40 to Vernal. We're going to spend the night in Vernal and then head up to Flaming Gorge tomorrow. We'll be, stop, we'll be stopping at Red Fleet State Park and uh, Steinecker and just stopping, making as many stops as we can between here and Flaming Gorge. You know, it's funny you bring up Red Fleet Reservoir. I actually mentioned that on uh, the uh, Utah's Morning News this week with Amanda Dixon because we did a story uh, of things that have been exposed by the drought. And I think the state park was in Texas where they have found some dinosaur tracks. People may not know and hopefully do now that uh, you don't have to go that far. Red Fleet's a great place to go see some dinosaur tracks. Yeah, of course, you know, in that area out of Vernal is dinosaur land. I mean, you got Dinosaur National Monument right there, Red Fleet. I mean, this, this is kind of a, a, a mother load of dinosaur opportunities, you know. And so, yeah, in Utah is a hotbed for dinosaur quarries. I mean, there's probably more dinosaur natural history museums in Utah than just about anywhere else. And, yeah, we're a, we're a dinosaur uh, mecca. Yeah. What are you looking forward to on this trip, Mark? Well, one of the things that I've uh, enjoyed, we're going to go through the eastern side of the Uinta Mountains, but I've been up into the Uintas three three different times on week-long or even a 10-day packing trip, and we're passing Moon Lake to the north of us here, just above Duchesne and, and Roosevelt, and there's lots of campgrounds. You know, we've just got a little bit of weather left. We're camping, still going to be good. It's going to be beautiful in the mountains, and, and so Moon Lake and some of these Uinta base lakes are going to be great to get into. These are going to be great places in the weeks ahead, too. I think, uh, and I was talking with uh, Matt, our meteorologist in the morning, I think we've made the turn here from the from the triple digits, and uh, now we're starting to look at meteorological fall. So these are going to be great times to be up in there, but I would still think, uh, Bob, you need to be thinking about the weather no matter where you're headed. Yeah, it's true. You know, we're still in the monsoon season. Monsoon season generally goes till about the middle of September. So this is an unusual monsoon season. I was just at Brian Head the last couple of days. I was helping uh, with Adam Eagle. He's shooting a show there. And it was in the low 60s the whole time we were there. It was really quite delightful. And big monsoon weather moves through that area like you wouldn't believe. But it sure was a nice relief for me. I, I know. Just, just, yeah, just, go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. I'll, I'll just I'll just throw in that. You know, we're only weeks away from fall colors everywhere, so that's 
something to start to look forward to as well. And I'm wondering if Bob, when he was up at Brian Head the other day, saw, saw any signs of that. Haven't seen any leaves changing yet, but I think they will be pretty quickly here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we're actually going to talk skiing in the next segment <laughs> with uh, Emily McDonald because they have set with a fingers crossed uh, a date on the calendar for Park City of November 18th. I know we weren't planning on doing this, but in a few in a few uh, little bit of time we have left, you're talking about monsoonal moisture. Uh, you guys no doubt have seen the the video of uh, the incredible waterfalls going into Lake Powell from all of that water. Yeah, that that was impressive. Uh, both Bob and I have been probably down on Lake Powell, and I've even been in Moab when those cliffs just the water gathers up on top of those cliffs, and there's nowhere for the water to go. It's just dense rock, and it comes pouring right off the top. You know, the lowest crack or wherever it is, and it is impressive. It's uh, full of mud and sand, and and uh, for a, a short time, right after the rain, it's 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 coming down hard. It doesn't last a long time once that rain stops. Yeah, yeah Mark and I have been in yeah. Zion Park, you know, in the canyon there where water falls. On a good day at Zion when the water's really coming down, it, it, more so when there's long, steady rain, it's better than actually the uh, monsoonal floods. But we've been in there when it looks like Yosemite on steroids. I mean, the waterfalls are just phenomenal and just everywhere in the park. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I've told this story before, but uh, real quick, when we were making our run down Cataract Canyon some years ago, we got in the middle of a rainstorm, and it's rare enough through there after the big drops, uh, that the guides actually turned the motors off on the boats and got their cameras out to see some of those waterfalls. So it is spectacular to see. All right, guys, we caught you on the front end of the trip this week. Next week, you can share some of your experiences with us. So uh, get back on the road. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you. You bet, Tim. Have a great weekend. It's Road Trippin' with Bob and Mark.com. We're going to go talk skiing on the other side of a news update next. Stay with me. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.